we are continuing this morning in the book of John. Anybody started reading the book of John? Anybody kind of reading it through? It's, nice, it's kind of a fun idea as we talk through it to just read it quickly through, like you'd sit down and read a novel, and then we're going to go through it slowly, but just to kind of get yourself familiar with it. Um, When I started planning for this message and for these sets of messages, I started reading in John 1 at the beginning, and I hadn't read it in a little bit. Sometimes you, you know, don't read certain parts of the Bible as frequently. I hadn't read it for a little bit, and I started reading it, the beginning of it, the first words, and it almost brought tears to my eyes, because it's such a powerful start to this book. It's, it's, if it's, it might be the most powerful set of, of writing ever written. It is so beautiful and so powerful. It has simplicity and it has complexity. It has humanity, it has divinity. It goes back to the beginning of time and yet speaks to us right here, right now, today. And so I'm excited for us to just start with this first chapter. It's my favorite one. Um, And it has three sections that we'll talk about today from verses 1 to 18 is what they call the prologue. It's really the introduction to the whole book. And we're going to spend a lot of time here this morning on the prologue because it is the basis for the rest of the book. You've got to know this prologue, and this is what he's getting at for the whole rest of the book, is what he says in this prologue, what it's about, the context that it's in. And then after that, from verses 19 to 34, there's some words about about John the Baptist, and then finally it ends with the calling of the disciples, which we just had Susan talking about with the kids. So we're going to spend most of the time this morning in the prologue. Um, In fact, if there was only one scrap of the Bible left, that's all we could have, I would hope it would be this prologue. (laughs) Because in this prologue you have creation, and you have the gospel, and you have salvation, and you have light, and you have life. All of this in these first 18 verses. So I'm going to just read this with you today. Now, if you don't have it, I encourage you actually to pull out your phone or there's some sheets on that back table with the whole thing printed out, the John 1. I'm going to have those every single week for you. I know you all have it on your phone, but sometimes it's nice to have it on a piece of paper. So feel free to get up right now and get one if you want um, and get one of those sheets. But it's nice to have it. You might even want to take notes on it. Um, Yeah, I'm going to give you a second to go ahead and get that because I feel like when we are reading the word of God, for me, I'm visual. I like to see it. Uh, helps me to see it. And so I'll have it up on the screen too, but then we'll be going on and talking other things you might like to refer back to it. So I'll just give you guys a minute to uh, collect your sheets, and then we're going to read this. It's a little bit of a long passage, but it's so good. I want you to just hear it. Let it speak to your heart as I begin to read John 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life
everything's in there, right? I mean, it's incredible. How incredible. And we talked last week, what's the purpose of this gospel? Why did he write it? There were three other gospels already written long ago, long before he was writing this one. Why read it? And he states the reason at the very end when we get to John 20, we'll get to there. But he says this, John 20, verse 31, he says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus the Messiah is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so John, as he starts out this thing, he does not beat around the bush. He does not pretend he's speaking to the current generation, which, by the way, when John was writing, none of them probably had been alive when Jesus was alive by the time he's writing this, Many or a few of them. We're still alive from Jesus' time. So these are people who, who lived after Christ. He's speaking to that generation and to generations beyond, and they needed to hear it then, and so do we need to hear it now, that Jesus is God. He's the Messiah. He is the Son of God, and he says it over and over again, even in this first bit of this passage. And so it's given at the beginning so that we would see that the whole book needs to be read with this understanding that Jesus is is God. He is divine. God in the flesh and everything he does points to it. Jack Swindoll puts it in his commentary how the rest of the book of John, Jesus claims his deity, his miracles supported his claim, his activities presupposed this truth, and his resurrection finally vindicated everything he said and did. It all points to who is Jesus, the Son of God. He is divine. And so the prologue presents two things I'm going to talk about this morning. One is this cosmic reality of Jesus, not just about his human life on earth, but, but that he's divine before all things. It's one of the most striking things about the opener, that he starts with gen- starts at the beginning, at the very beginning of time. I'll just read those first uh, few, cha- few verses again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. bad how different John's book is going to be than the other gospels because Matthew traced Christ's uh, genealogy back to Abraham so that was pretty good right if you go to the beginning of Matthew you get the whole genealogy about how Jesus you know goes all the way back to Abraham if you go into Luke Luke traces him all the way back to Adam so that's pretty good the first person and John says no 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 we haven't gone back far enough I've got a perspective here we're going back to the beginning of time because this man is not just a man who lived on 30 years on the earth but he is divine He's eternal. He's before all things and will be after all things. That's who Jesus is. And so he starts this thing with, in the beginning. Where have you heard it in the beginning before? Where do you hear that? If you know your Bible a little bit, you know that that's the very beginning of the whole book. The Bible, in Genesis, it says, in the beginning. It starts like that. And let me just read to you the first couple of verses of Genesis, back at the beginning of the Bible. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens. of this passage in what John says at the beginning of his he's he's deliberately kind of echoing what went on in Genesis because he is emphasizing this is not just about a man who lived in Palestine during the Roman area this is this we're talking about someone who is eternal someone who's before all things we're reaching back to to 
early things beyond what any of us could ever understand or imagine. And so I'm going to give you this little chart which compares Genesis 1 and John 1, and I just think this is so fascinating. I got kind of excited. I kind of geek out once in a while on Bible stuff, so I'm going to warn you, since we're going through John, I'm going to at times give you some of this that's just kind of so fascinating what the Bible, how complex and interesting it is. And so here's a little chart comparing Genesis 1 and John 1. And so the very beginning of it, they both, of course, start in the beginning. Same exact three words. John's not just starting at the beginning of Jesus' life on earth. He says, no, we're going back all the way to the beginning because he starts all the way beginning. This is his broad theological perspective that John is bringing us. And then it says, in the beginning, God, in Genesis. In the beginning, God. I have a brother-in-law who came to faith later in life in his, in his adult years, and he said it was those four words that actually caused him to come to faith, because, or at least were a big part of him coming to faith, because he said, you know, God has been and always was, and so how could anything exist if it weren't true? And so somehow this in the beginning God just for him set the whole tone for his life, that if God's there, then everything else follows from that. So in the beginning God. Now John kind of takes it a step further, because what does John say in his first couple verses? He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In the beginning, God. And, and so he's taking our understanding of God, and he's now broadening us a little bit. He's giving us, actually, a little bit of the Trinity, not all three members of the Trinity, but before the, tri the, the doctrine of the Trinity was even fully understood, he's saying, no, it's just, it's God, but there's the Word, and there's the Father. And, and there's two, they're two in one here. He's bringing us both of them. So he's just expanding our understanding of who God is. And it's all God, it's all God. And then if we go on, in the beginning, in Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. And in John, verse three here, it says, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And so John is establishing that we all know about a creator. And this creator is this word who he'll later identify as Jesus. So again, he's the creator. Then we go into verse 3 of Genesis. And God said, and we know what happens after that, right? God speaks the, the, the light and the darkness and the earth and the, and the sea and all these things. He speaks these things. He speaks. And John, in a little bit of a play on words here, says in the beginning was the word. He uses this word, word, which is kind of, I think is kind of interesting that he's, pl he's playing a little bit on the meaning of this word, word, and it was by the word of God's mouth that the earth came into being. And who was this word? He later identifies him, of course, as Jesus. In verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So it's just, it's just sort of fascinating, brilliant writing, kind of, kind of mirroring the Genesis passage, but even going a step further. And then finally in verse 3 of Genesis 1, it says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And what does it say in the beginning of John? In verse 4, it says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so John is skillfully, again, hearkening back to the Genesis narrative, and he's saying, Yes, we, God created physical light in the world, and the world was formless and void and dark, and God brought light. There's an echo, a foreshadowing of how he's bringing a different kind of light here. And he goes on in verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And so John is making it clear that, yes, God created physical light, and so now we're living in a light, a world with light in it, but there's still spiritual darkness. Is that not true? 
We still live in spiritual darkness. We need the light. And so he says, now the true light that's going to give light, not just on the outside. We all have light on the outside every day when the sun comes up. But he's going to start to bring a light on the inside. And that's what Jesus did here. And let me just say one more thing about light and how amazing it is when God takes a kind of a concept and strings it all through scripture. So we start out in Genesis, let there be light. He creates the light, the physical light of the world. Then we go to John 1 here and he's talking about, well, there's, that, there's a physical light, but there's now, we're bringing the light of the world, who's Jesus, into the world to bring you spiritual light. And then if you go all the way to the end of the Bible at Revelation, which also was written by John, by the way, it says this, I don't think I have it on the screen, but it's, it says in Revelation 22, 5, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And so God is making it clear to us, John is making it clear to us that there is one source of light, and that source of light is Jesus. So all of that is to say that, that, that John is grounded. He's grounding this whole talk about Jesus and who he is, that he is divine, that he's the son of God, he's the creator of all things. He's grounding it all the way back to Genesis. I thought that was cool. I don't know. Um, but I love how God, John is grounding what he's saying in eternity. We're not just about a man's life on earth for a few short decades. Now, what I want to talk about over a little bit more is this idea of the word, because this is a big part of this opening uh, sequence in John. He talks about the word, and it's a play on words that John is using here, but I always kind of got a little frustrated with it. I would always be like, you know, why did he have to say it that way? The word was with God, and the word was God, and why couldn't he, like, it's kind of confusing to us, especially in our English language, I think. It just sounds, I was like, what is he talking about? Why didn't he just make it a little more plain? And I think what that means is we don't have the Jewish and the Greek context that people would have had in the times of John. And the first thing I want to show you here is that in the Old Testament, this word, word, is used a lot by God, and it almost has a personal element to it, as if it was a person. Let me read to you a couple of these verses. Um, Isaiah 55, 11, and you, many of you probably know this verse. My word which Jewish people would have known. He's saying, I've got to tell you something. This word that God was talking about has been made real in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not just a concept out there, but it is a person who we can know. So the Jewish audiences would have really heard that. That would have been very unusual for them. But he also, and this is brilliant, he also speaks very much to the Gentile audience, which was building up over that time. Uh, and the word that we have, word, in our Bibles is the word logos in Greek. And this was a word already in use before the time of Christ. It would have been something very understood. It was a philosophical word, a significant word in Greek philosophy, and the concepts also found in Indian and Egyptian and Persian philosophical systems. So this was an important word. And, you know, I kind of love how one of the commentaries put it. He said, it's a mark of John's
blow your mind, because I'm going to tell you what this word means in the Greek, what it would have meant to a Greek person in those days. The concept of logos, or the word, according to Greek philosophy, the first mention we have of it is in 6th century BC. So this is six centuries before the time of Christ. This philosopher Heraclitus said this about the word. And just listen to how he describes what the logos is. The logos is the single, cosmic, rational, unified, ordering principle which operates the whole universe. <laughs> All laws of physics, mathematics, reason, and morality can be traced to this ordering principle, the word. Six centuries before the time of Christ. Now let me go forward a little bit. Stoic philosophers in the fourth and third centuries before the time of Christ. Listen to how they describe the Logos. The Logos is an active, rational, and spiritual principle that permeated all reality. They called the Logos providence, nature, God, the soul of the universe, a divine, animating, life-giving, life-moving principle permeating the universe. God knows what he's doing. Let me get you one more. Philo of Alexander, he's a first century Jewish philosopher. And get this, get how he describes the Logos. The Logos is the intermediary between God and the cosmos. Being both agent of creation and the agent through which the human mind can apprehend and comprehend God. <laughs> he argued that the Logos was a divine mind, both imminent, meaning pervasive and indwelling in the world, and at the same time transcendent above or beyond the material world. Who does this all sound like, people? <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It just makes me realize that truth is truth. And even other philosophies and religions can, can discover aspects of it and, and, and grasp onto some pieces of it. But here's what's amazing. John says, what you think is a principle is a person. It's a person. Yeah, you got it right. There's that principle out there, but that principle is a capital P person. John's innovation by the, inspired by the Holy Spirit is this, this grand principle of logos has become a person and we can know him intimately in Jesus. It's incredible what God has done. And Jesus is cosmic, and he is rational, and he is ordering and permeating all reality. He's the soul of the universe. He is life-giving, life-moving, the intermediary between God and the cosmos, the agent of creation, divine, both indwelling our world and existing above and beyond in the universe. Hallelujah. That's the God we serve. That's who Jesus is. And it was, it was, it was, meant to be from the beginning of time, in the beginning, in the beginning. So praise him. This is who our God is, and I, I, I pray that this word will cause you to worship him, to realize how grand and amazing he is, the Logos, God, the word of God. And so this is all in those first few words of this, of this Gospel of John. The second thing I want to say about this prologue, this opening sequence in John, the first 18 um, verses, is that it's also called to believe. So not only is he telling us a cosmic reality, but he's also calling us to believe. Remember, the whole purpose of this book, right, is that you would believe. And so he's calling us to that right away. Um, and the Gospel's spelled out already in this first little bit of John. John says this, if we start in verse 10, he says, he was in the world, talking about Jesus.
find as we get a little few chapters forward in John 3, John talks a lot about being born again, but he kind of introduces that concept here that we have a very simple choice before us. And it's an incredibly important choice, but it's also an incredibly simple choice to believe, to simply believe that what we just said about this cosmic reality of Jesus, that he is real. And to those that received him, to those that believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. I don't know how many of you were able to come to be at our baptism service last week at at the Maturino's house. It was beautiful. We were all assembled around the pool and watched six people get baptized. And there were only three questions that were asked of the people getting baptized. It was first, do you believe that that Jesus is the Son of God and he died for your sins? And then it was, have you received him in your heart by faith? And is it your desire to follow him? As simple as that. As simple as that. And so... I speak to you this morning, if you feel like you are working, 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 working to earn being a child of God. If you wonder if you've done enough or you've believed heartily enough to really be his child. If you suspect everybody else has some kind of key to this thing that you don't have, that doesn't apply to you, or that other people can be the children of God, but you're kind of just the slave of God over here in the corner. If there's any of you who feel that, that you're trying so hard to be seen and to be loved by him, I want to tell you that Jesus is saying right here through the book of John that all you must do is to believe and receive. And you can come to him, and he receives you, and you are his child. That is all there is to it. He compares it, interestingly, to having natural children. He says, you know, it just it, to children born the human way of natural descent and of a human decision. And we all know how easy that is. <laughs> I mean, all a man and woman got to do is get together and have some sex and, wow, there's a baby. <laughs> it's pretty easy, right? There's no vetting process there. Any fool, any two fools can, can make a baby, right? <laughs> that every one of us can come to Jesus and receive him, that we only need to believe that we don't have to prove ourselves to him, we don't need to work harder and harder and be better and better. I mean, what we even heard from Beth today from from the Hoving Home, these girls come in and they are, they, you know, probably would tell you they've done everything wrong, (laughs) everything you're not supposed to do. And some of us are here today, you're like, you don't know how many things I've done wrong. And yet God says, I'm not looking at that right now, I'm looking at you and you're my child, you're my, I created you to be in relationship with me. Come and let me be your father. Come to me with all of your mess, with all of your mess-ups, and I will begin to make you the person I created you to be. I'll begin to work in your life, and you're a child of God. And so this is just what we can do today, this morning, and I actually feel like there's some of us this morning who who need to simply say to God, I believe and I receive. That maybe you've always kind of held back from saying that to him, but he wants you to, say, to know that he's inviting you and there's nothing standing in the way except our own maybe pride <laughs> and our own hesitation. And so we confess I believe and I receive. This is the grace of God, grace upon grace, as John calls it in this opening sequence. 
Now, I want to talk to you just for a couple minutes about John the Baptist and the calling of the disciples, which is at the, at the tail end of this chapter. Um, John the Baptist, of course, we know was called. He's a cousin of Jesus's. He's uh, the son of Elizabeth. Elizabeth and Mary were pregnant around the same time with their two babies. And as he grew up to be a man, he went out into the wilderness, and he began preaching repentance, and he began baptizing people created a big crowd. It says in Matthew that he was, um, he wore clothes made of camel's hair and a leather belt and he ate locusts and wild honey, okay? So real interesting guy and he's out there preaching and people are coming to him in droves. They, they sense this need for repentance and so they're coming to him in droves. He's baptizing them and he's got a huge following. And this worked because this way because in first century Rome, there was a lot of hope for the Messiah to come. They were hoping that somebody would come and deliver the Jewish people from these Roman oppressors. And so, uh, you know, there were, there were definitely Messiah types that had come beforehand who were claiming to be the Messiah, and there would be some that would come after as well. And so this is why, given that John the Baptist is suddenly very popular, the, um, the, the Pharisees begin to question him. And there's this whole sequence here in verses 19 to 23. The Jewish leaders came to him. It says, now this was John's testimony. When the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem... He did it. He had a single calling. He called himself a voice. Listen, he probably could have rallied more crowds and become a big figure. He might have even surpassed Jesus in some places if he just was in a different place than Jesus was. Um, and, and he had crowds already following him, and yet he was blessed and content to do what God had called him to do, which was to point to Jesus. And he says this uh, in the verse we just read, and also if you keep going on verse 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. to reveal Jesus. And then John gave this testimony, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I might... Humble, pointing all the time to Jesus. This is again how John's gospel is different. He's always going to be pointing to Jesus. Always pointing to the glory of Jesus. Always pointing to that. Do you remember how last week I talked about John and how he referred to his how he refers to himself in the whole book of John? He talks about himself as the disciple Jesus loved. He doesn't use his name. He doesn't say I. He's trying to remain anonymous and if, again deflect the glory off of himself. And on to Jesus. This is going to be through the whole book of John. Be looking for it as we're reading through this book that the glory is always given to Jesus. This is why, why John wrote this book. 
And finally, we see at the end of the chapter, Jesus calling the first disciples. And you'll notice he talks about two disciples getting called. They, they were disciples of John. John says, look, there's, this, there's Jesus. So then the two of them go, but one of them remains unnamed. One of them we see is, is um, Andrew, and Andrew goes and tells Simon Peter. Then Jesus calls Philip, and Philip tells Nathaniel. So we got five calls, called disciples, one's unnamed. We know that John was called right around that time, John and his brother James. So we don't know who that unnamed disciple is, if it was James or if it was John. I wouldn't be surprised if it was John because, again, he didn't name himself. He didn't say who it was because he was deflecting. It's another example of pointing to Jesus. The, in John's mind, his own personal calling is not so important as, as pointing to the glory of Jesus, that this is the Son of God, that his glory and a divinity. And it's, you know, it's easy for us to say and see it on the page, but isn't this hard to do? I mean, don't we like it when glory comes to us? We really do. It's very hard to deflect it. If everyone's following you, you know, it's very hard to say, well, no, follow this person. I remember in my 20s, okay, I was working uh, in New York City for a tech firm. And I remember thinking to myself, the one thing I want is my name on the door. Like that thing where they engra laser engrave a little plate and they slip it in the thing and it says my name and it's on the door. To me, that was like, I have arrived, okay? I got my office <laughs> and there it is. I went by Elizabeth back then, again, trying to be a little bit more like official. Uh, and I was <laughs> packing our house last year to come here. Okay, so this is, I can't even tell you how many decades later, all right, than this time. And I'm packing through, going through boxes and closets, and I found my little nameplate that looked just like this. This is not actually it. I looked for it like mad the last couple days. I was like, I, mu I couldn't remember if I'd thrown it out or not. Now, how crazy is that? Okay? Of, of course I should have thrown it out. It's from decades ago. What am I going to do with this nameplate? This is Elizabeth Graham. I don't even go by that name anymore. But it was so important to me to have my name on it. I saved it all those years. I know I'm not the only one <laughs> who saves small monuments to your own glory. <laughs> John the Baptist could have had glory, but he pointed to Jesus. John the writer of John could have had glory, but he pointed to Jesus. You and I may have opportunities for glory. May we point to Jesus. May we put him first. I want to invite the, the, the worship team to come up as we remember why this book was written, that we might believe and have life. And i got to tell you something, church. Life is to believe and give glory to Jesus. That's life. It releases us of all that pride. It releases us of all that striving, of all that me, me, me-centeredness. That's life to believe and receive and give glory to him. And so I really believe this morning, first of all, that some of us are called to faith, to truly giving our heart to him, to saying, I believe and I receive. It's been kind of a thing in the back of my mind that I haven't done, but I, I want to say that this morning to Jesus. I believe and I receive you. But I hope also to call every one of us here to a moment of worship. We worshiped a little bit at the beginning. We're going to worship here a little bit at the end. Because I want us to reflect on who Jesus is, that he was before all things, that he would be after all things, he created all things. 
I want to read to you again those first four verses of John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Is he not worthy for us to give all the glory? Is he not worthy for us to worship the Logos, the exalted one? He's worthy and exalted. He is glorious and master over all angels and men. He is the ladder between heaven and earth, the cosmic divine mind ordering all things. He is pervasive today ever-present in our world, but also transcendent, so far above that we can barely understand who he is. That if we were to just behold the, 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 the tiniest fingernail of his glory, we'd, we'd just fall to, our fall to our faces. He's God's chosen one, ruler of all, seated at the right hand of God the Father. So I want us to worship Jesus. I invite you to, to sit or to stand, to kneel before him, to raise your hands, to come forward to this front and just worship him. Consider his glory. You've made all things, God. Lord, there's no one like you. You are majestic and seated in the highest places and every creature in heaven and on earth is going to bow the knee before you and give you glory. All glory to you, God. And every bit of creation glorifies your name, Lord. Every stone cries out of your greatness. Every tree lifts up its branches to praise you. Every animal lives and moves as it is created out of, out, of, out of respect for you because you created them too, Lord. You spoke galaxies into place. World beyond world beyond world. You put every star into its place. So let's worship him this morning. Praise you, Lord. We lift up your name. Let your hearts be lifted up. Oh, God, you are worthy. There's no one like you, God. The stars exalt you. The creation sings your praises. So let us do the same, God. Praise you, Lord. 